back again. I was wondering by your office. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna take control of this particular yeah, episode of Pwned. Um, wandering by your office, and I heard you on the telephone with the press. Um, uh, Kansas, I think it was the Kansas Star, Kansas City Star, something like that. Tribune, yeah, Tribune, Tribune, Star. something, yeah. whatever. Yep. And I heard you talking about the ransomware attack against the public court. I want to talk about that. Okay, let's do that. So, what's the story? <laughs> Uh, so the story is, and this is, this is all public information at the moment, um, but news has come out and details are continuing to emerge that uh, the Kansas public court system was impacted, uh, sus- suspected to be ransomware, um, and there's numerous court systems, platforms that are unavailable for public consumption. Mm. And as of today... Um, the courts have said courts are closed. We're not seeing anybody um, out of an overabundance of caution. They are not taking any meetings today, which is pretty interesting to me. It's like, it's not even like saying, I mean, we're going back to paper. It's like, we're just not even going to meet anybody either. I judge this to be serious, <laughs> but, it, but the jury's out. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's super interesting. I yeah. love the thing I love about it, right. Is this intersection of cybersecurity and sort of physical security and jurisprudence, um, when they decided to shut it down, was it because they couldn't get at the records they needed to prosecute? Was it because they couldn't schedule jurors and juries and judges? Uh, was it just because the whole thing is up in the air? They don't know what the hell's going on. You know, how, how do you feel it's impacting them? Is it like a is it like a real breakdown in the system's ability to func- function, or is it just a bunch of people running around going like, oh my god, what do we do now? <laughs> Uh, maybe all of the above a little bit. Um, but, but honestly, I, uh, it seems like we're still pretty early. They're, um, trying to figure out what is actually going on in the breadth and scope of impact. Mm. It seems to me like the paper route was evaluated. Should we just go back to paper and documentation and nothing proves the value of systems rather than going back to 1970 and having to deal with pen and paper. Um, I think it was also just keeping track of everything and not having process like clean processes to do that in a scalable way. So I'm, uh, I'm speculating mm-hmm. here that um, the motion right now is people figuring out how to continue operations in lieu of having technology. Um, I would expect for the next couple of weeks they're going to be back to paper. Let me, let me spring an adjacent or orthogonal question on you Mm -hmm. so i remember talking to might have been the boston globe or something a number of years ago one of the local police departments got knocked around right and they get ransomed and all the questions they were asking was like you know what happens i said have you guys stopped to think about chain of custody the fact that they could actually encrypt this data meant they had access to it and they could change it so if i was a defense attorney looking in at this chain of custody for the evidence that's maintained digitally, which is all the photographs of crime scenes, a lot of the, re- the records from the officers themselves are contained digitally. That's the only place they are. How do you prosecute and prove that those records haven't been changed when provably they have been? At very least, even if you find that one really nice ransomware group that actually gives you all your stuff back, it's a new file when it lands. Oh, so 100%. all this stuff is new, right? So how do you as uh, an attorney or as a district attorney or as a jury judge whether or not chain of custody is held up. It's an interesting 
interesting question. I, I roll it back even further mm. and basically saying, like, now you look at case law, I'm saying, okay, if we know we haven't been securing it here and we have commercially reasonable technology that's securing it, how do we know anything has ever actually been secured, right? Put it in the wheelbarrow, roll it out the front door, dump it on the front lawn. Nice. I hadn't even thought of that, right? Because there's unlikely to have been oddity kinds of things showing that you know absolutely everything that transacted. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, for me chain like having a true chain of custody is black and white yeah. like it's bolted or it is not right and here's the thing right if you're pushing all services out to the edge right a lot of cases it's not as faulted as you might want it to be in these cases and this to your point proves that eh, this actually might not be let me ask you a question because when you interact with the press you get a real sense for what the the person on the street thinks about what's happening so when you spoke with the reporter, were the questions sort of focused on um, how did this happen? Or was it focused on are you seeing a lot of this? Are you fo was it focused on how should they have done better? What was like the reporter's focus as she was asking you questions? Yeah, so I think um, <clears throat> uh, the sentiments probably mirrors the public one, right? It's basically saying, oh, okay, like we see systems offline, but what the heck does that mean? And... Uh, a lot of the conversation was that, right? And so, like, the the analogy that I gave here is, like, it would be, like, getting a phone call from a friend. Like, I, uh, I, I give you a call. I'm like, Jack, hey, like, I've got a water leak in my house, mm -hmm. right? I have, I have no idea what it is, but, like, my basement is filling with water. So you say, great. You come over, and the front door is locked, right? And you can't, like, you can't get in the house. I'm like, Jack, like, what's, what's going on? You'd be like, I don't know, like I can see there's water pouring on your front door, but I have no idea where it's coming from. So I can't even like, I can only speculate and guess what your issue could be. Yeah. Right. And it's the same thing here saying systems are offline, but if it is ransomware, they are locked and you cannot get in to figure out what's next. Right. And those first, like first couple of days, first couple of hours, first couple of days are like, they're pretty slow because you're figuring out how to break into the house so you can get access to your systems. And what an amazing conundrum as you're talking, I'm saying to myself, well, this is interesting. If they decide the only way to get the system of jurisprudence back online is to pay the attackers, you have courts paying criminals. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. And by federal definition, you are, are federal courts or state courts funding terrorism. Correct. Yeah. Mm. That is not an excellent precedent. <laughs> no. Not an excellent precedent. So do they, did um, the courts have any idea of how long it's going to take them to get back to putting, you know, giving people just judgments and putting people in prison, what have you? No, there's no, no ETA, no timeline. Um, but here's what, here's also other kind of facets or components that we talked about is um, there's a few court systems that have been recently whacked. Oh, really? Um, recently, I'm forgetting the name off the top of my head, but there was one in Northern Florida just a couple of weeks ago that was whacked by ransomware by Black Cat, mm -hmm. who took credit for the attack. Um, in, in that attack, there was um, an... I'll have to find the the article where I got this information from, and we we can we can post it for folks. Um, but it was like two terabytes of information that was lost. Um, there was 
uh, information about judges that were lost. There was information about um, court staff that was lost. And there was, I, th- I recall there was uh, potentially some PII mm. involved in there. Um, I didn't see any court files reference, but um, who knows? Anyway, um, what I was getting at is that that was a couple weeks to get every, all systems back online. So I would imagine, and this again, I'm kind of speculating how this would go, but um, systems are offline. Yep. You have to keep things processing, right? And so there's going to be a little bit of a backlog in the sense where you, maybe you're offline for a couple of days. In the case of Kansas saying, like, our offices are just closed. We're not even people in person. So your schedules are delayed. But then you do everything in paper and then say, okay, systems are back online. Schedules are back cut up. But then you have to go – have to reverse the past couple of weeks that you've been on paper and get all those things input. So like the opportunity cost is huge. It's like to me, it's like you're, you're in heavy traffic and the car in front of you like hits their brakes, hits the brake lights. And you immediately also hit your brake lights. And the person behind you hits the brake lights. This creates this ripple effect that can right be on. felt for miles. And I, I think this is going to be the case here and others. And so the question then comes up and saying, well, our court system is being targeted yeah. and saying, I don't, that's, that, that's tough to say for sure. sure. But here's the thing that we, we do know for sure is that these ransomware groups are fiscally motivated. Mm-hmm. We know that for a fact. Um, and so really this becomes like a crime of opportunity, right? So if they see, if they, the collective ransomware operators see, oh, there's opportunity in courts and there's been a couple that have fallen it might be reasonable to think we could also go after all the court systems and have similar su- success, right? And so is this something we're saying, if you're a ransomware operator, well, if we hit all the other court systems really, really fast, maybe we can hit them before they have lessons learned and shared across each other. So that's kind of, that's kind of one aspect to it. But we're also entering into an interesting time in our political landscape and geopolitical landscape I'm saying there's going to be people who are fiscally motivated and whether it's courts or municipalities or businesses, they don't really care because all of their money is green. Right on. But then on the other hand, you have this other group, other group of people You say, okay, they care less about money. They want to make a point. And there are people who just like to see the world burn. So chaos. Sure. Yeah, sure. So um, early indications is we're still seeing the former, not, not the latter. But um, if, if I'm a betting man, I don't really bet, but this is a guy who started a company from scratch with no job. Yeah. Yeah. But hang on. <laughs> but here's the thing. I didn't take other people's money and I didn't make a bet on other people's money. Truth. I only Truth. bet on myself. Truth. Um, so, uh, so I, I, I would expect in time that we're going to see more of the latter, which is more of like more the, the chaos type of attackers. Let me ask a different question about the yeah. same thing that just occurred to me, which is, I think about courts and their data getting extracted and used. you gave the example in Northern Florida that they had stolen private information from court workers and what have you. And it led me to like down the path that said, you know, for these combination doxing and crypto ransomware kinds of attacks for the shutting down the systems and the releasing the stuff, what happens to the court's responsibility for confidential informants, witnesses, um, cases that have been sealed, juvenile cases, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask the question, do you think it likely, and I'm not doing this as a setup because maybe you're like, yeah, but do you think it likely that they segmented the data so that that ransomware attack would only see things that are possible to be seen and there was an enclave that protected everything else? 
or do you think it's likely that a lot of those um, barriers that are put up to protect privacy where it's supposed to be protected probably fall down and when you get a dox of one of these things, you're getting all that stuff? I think it's the former in that if you have informants, you have people in protective custody, that's a different agency that handles that. And in, let's let's just say let's just say it's the FBI. Sure. Right. <clears throat> um, it's the uh, FBI systems and processes that handle all of that. Who, um, who's in protective custody? Who's been an informant? All those things separate. Um, we don't always see those things entering into the court system, and if they do, they're kind of somewhat becoming in the public eye anyway. Um, so because of that, I think they're separate where there's, where there's a high level of sensitivity, which would, which would be good. Got it. So what about cases that are sealed? So somebody gets found guilty, they work out a deal, they say, please seal this case. Yeah, I see, I see that being a little bit different. <laughs> I, would, I, I would hope that they would treat those things differently. Like don't, don't store them in, in, in systems that are accessible from the internet. You got to air, ga- air gap it a little bit. It sort of speaks to a need for a, a, a new and evolving set of security requirements for courts or police stations or what have you. Anybody who handles that style of confidential record, it's a different kind of confidentiality. We're all used to having our stuff stolen all the time, right? It's Monday. My ID has been stolen again, right? Um, my social security number is like flying around there somewhere. Um, but this is serious stuff. This relates to... Um, it could be life and death for people. 100%. Life and death, life and death job, no job. Yep. You know, all of these kinds of things. Um, and so maybe in the same way that the SEC continuously reevaluates different kinds of financial institutions and what they should do for cyber... I wonder if there's, and I'll go do some research, but I wonder if there's any similar model to push improving security in the law, the law enforcement, you know, community and the judicial community. Yeah. <clears throat> so here's, here's what I'll say. So I think there's probably a lot of people listening to this who say, oh, that's what CJIS is for, right? The CJIS is the criminal justice information system. But CJIS only covers the national criminal databases in the interstate information system. This, this is not the exact name, but it's the the triple uh, I system that only governs um, access to federal criminal databases, who has access to conduct criminal searches. Um, it touches on c- CGI criminal mm-hmm. justice information and how you're protecting that information, but it doesn't cover any of this stuff that we're talking about here. This to me, this is way different. And I would say like in this bucket that we're talking about now would be like chain of custody. Yeah. Right. Be like, how how can you one hundred percent guarantee that these things have not been tampered with? Right. I mean, we have best practices. There's no um, there's no firm regulation or like set of control standards like we see in other places that directly tie to these and that are being enforced the way that CGIS or IRS Pump Ten Seventy Five or any of the NIST derivatives, especially if you're seeking an ATO, how those work. Like this is kind of like, I, it's it's an oversight to me. It's overlooked. It's an opportunity for coverage. Um, I just i i don't i don't see people talking about it, and I don't know if it's a matter of they don't really understand it. They they don't understand how to enforce a chain of custody, like in real like tech technical yep. ways. Um, they don't understand it, or um, you know they just haven't been been made aware of it, you know? It's just kind of one of those things be like, oh, yeah, 
And about that, we should include that too. It's, it's funny. I remember when HIPAA was coming out and going to the doctor's office, right? And, they, and ordinarily, for those of you who are less than 100 years old, doctors used to have file rooms, which are these vertical stacks and stacks and stacks of all the patient's paper records. And I remember going in right after HIPAA came out, I'd done a little bit of work on it. And I'm like, hey, are you guys HIPAA? And they're like, absolutely. I said, great. You know, so I filled up my little entrance form. They said, watch this. And they took the form and went like this. And they put it face down. They said, that's our first step to HIPAA. So other people can't see your name if they see the file. Nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> and, and I think it was mainly because, and, and let's face it, it's gotten a lot better. The medical community, healthcare community has been working their asses off. But I think about that in the court system, just as, just as antiquated, just as paper-oriented. So much of the physical evidence in court cases is physical evidence, yeah. right? They're going to have to go through that same process. And I can't imagine that a ton of it's happening yet. And if it has been digitized, I go back to that, that discussion in Massachusetts around what happens when local law enforcement loses all the de- digital assets. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I, I would think that going through this exercise here and all everything that's happened over the last couple of years, as it starts to impact court systems and judicial systems more and more, people are going to start to pay more attention to it. Right. So maybe this is the beginning of change. Another wonderful and positive note to end this podcast on. <laughs> Thank you very much for sharing your press expertise and uh, experience with us. Yeah, it was quite prescalent. <laughs> I don't know. I'm out. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Uh, if you listen to this episode, you like it, please share it with your friends. Uh, please like us on social media, uh, and we'll get you on the next episode.